Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can find more details about us on our website, workerbeing.com, on social media, or you can support us in our community at workerbeing.com slash community. So today we have a special guest joining us, Dr. Tyree Mitchell, who is an assistant professor at Louisiana State University in the School of Leadership and Human Resource Development. And he is a co-author of the book, Searching for Trust in the Global Economy, along with Gene Brett. So what are our two takeaways? We had a really great interview. I'd love to hear what takeaways you had from it. Yes. So our takeaways from today's interview are, first, that trust is not a one-size-fits-all approach. We need to think about cross-cultural differences when building trust with different business partners. The second takeaway that you'll learn from our interview today is that you have to pay attention to cultural levels of tightness and looseness to understand why cultural differences exist in trust building across different potential business partners. And the last is that in a post-COVID world, you have to be really intentional about how you build trust with new business partners. Love it. It's such a great interview. Learned a lot. You'll definitely learn what culture looseness and tightness is since guessing a lot of people probably don't know. Like I wasn't really sure about it. So, so much to learn. Really excited for you to hear the interview. Enjoy. So Tyree, we're so excited to have you here and to be talking to you about your book. Um, But before we jump into that, could you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what made you decide to write about trust at work? Absolutely. First, thank you so much for having me. This is a pleasure to be able to join you all today. Uh, So my background, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist by training, which means I study the world of work. My specific focus is on studying kind of uh, how groups interact, so how people within and across groups interact and influence each other in the workplace. So that includes topics like leadership, trust, team effectiveness, and negotiation. So I do research in these areas, and I also teach courses at LSU on leadership and team dynamics, both at the undergraduate and graduate level. So as it relates to why I decided to write, a, write the book about trust, that's so interesting to think about and reflect on. Uh, you know, when I was finishing up my dissertation in 2016, I started a research fellowship at Northwestern in their business school. And I had the privilege of working with Jean Brett, who was near retirement at the time and wanted to tackle some big questions on her way out. So we just start, we started interviewing managers who were enrolled in executive ed programs. And it took us several years, but we were able to get 82 interviews from managers who represent 33 different countries. So by the end of 2019, we had published our findings in a peer-reviewed version um, in the International Journal of Conflict Management. And we had a practitioner version published in Harvard Business Review in the January of 2020. And so even though we had both these publications, we still felt like we weren't telling the full story. And we had so many quotes that we wanted to share and so many wonderful insights. So in early 2020, we set out to write a book to tell a more complete version of our story. So I guess to answer your question, I decided to write this book in part because I had unique data um, or I had unique data allowed me to tell a unique story that only a few people could tell, but also because there, I had a, the, the privilege of telling this story with someone I thoroughly enjoyed working with. I, one, I love the topic, right? I love uh, the topic of trust in the workplace. I think it's so important, both in what you see in the data, but also just like in personal experience. Um, I feel like 
the relationships and the teams that have functioned the best have always been ones that were really high trust. And two, 100% relate to how important it is to like the people you work with. Uh, very lucky to work with Katina and being able to do projects with her and work on cool things with her is, makes the world a difference. So I'm really excited that you've had the opportunity to work with somebody that you also are excited about working with. Thank you. And just to uh, add to that, it, there was a trust building process among each other, right? Where over time we learned to trust each other. Mm. Um, and, and that's almost kind of a, a different story for a different day. But, there, you know, as we were writing about <laughs> trust, we were kind of unfolding a, a trust process, with, you know, for ourselves. So really cool. That's that's a really good point. Yeah, it does take a lot of trust to work with the person in this type of capacity, too. Um, maybe we'll tap into a little bit of that story at some point yeah. today. Yeah, it's awesome to think about. I mean, it's such a fundamental building block of relationships and a fundamental building block of even what helps like the fabric of society stay together. So I'm excited about the global piece of things that you have to share as well. Um, and before we kind of dive into the details of what you have in the book, you know, this is a podcast that helps employees learn how to thrive at work. And you've already started to tap into a little bit of you know, what it is about trust that can help people. You mentioned working well together. Um, what is it about building trust at work that can help people thrive? So why would our listeners in particular be interested in a story about trust? It's a great question. And I guess I'll answer that by saying what happens when people trust each other or talking about the outcomes when you have high trust in organizations. And the data are pretty clear that when people trust each other, they expend fewer resources to protect themselves from being exploited they engage in more risk-taking, they perform better on task, they engage in more citizenship behavior, which are behaviors and things that they don't have to do. They're not necessarily a part of their job description, but they do because they want to benefit others in the organization. They're less likely to engage in counterproductive work behaviors, right? These are things that don't add value to the overall organizational goals and objectives. Um, and ultimately, they achieve better out economic outcomes in negotiations, and their teams perform better. So when people trust those they work with, they thrive as individuals, and their teams thrive as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I love that idea of risk-taking. When you mentioned that when I was thinking about it a little bit, because um, it takes a little bit of risk to innovate and come up with creative ideas and it's also scary to take a risk, right? So that trust piece seems to be that, that for some reason just really resonated with me the most was that, that risk taking piece. So that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense in terms of how it can help employees do well performance wise, but also thrive from a well-being perspective because they, they're in a situation where they don't have to be overly protective of themselves. And that makes a, a lot of sense. That's a great point. And it kind of brings us back to the definition of trust, which is this willingness to be vulnerable to uh, the behavior of others, right? And so in order to trust somebody, you have to really be willing to put yourself out there and be vulnerable because they could exploit you, but they could also actually um, have intentions to um, benefit you, but you'll never know until you take that risk. So yeah, it feels like that's getting even more important. And certainly in the last couple of years had to have been pretty important for employees trying to navigate new terrains, trying to understand how to work through the pandemic, trying to understand how to create, you know, environments where people can be more authentic and vulnerable with each other about what they're going through, challenges they're facing. So it feels like even more, I would imagine trust has played a role in sort of keeping 
organizations afloat through these really hard times. I think that makes a lot of sense. And even when you think about the fact that we weren't co-located so often and during the pandemic, managers had to trust that even though their employees weren't at an arm's length, that they were still getting their work done, you know, and even if they're in a, a meeting virtually and the camera's off, they have to assume that, you know, or trust that the, you know, their, their team members are still attentive, still paying attention, still engaged. And, um, that, that can be difficult to do when it's not a norm, right. And, and you're really trying to navigate new waters. So I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, that's a good point. That's very salient today for people that have moved into remote environments. They weren't there before. And I know that was a big conflict right up front, right when people first transitioned. And I think it's still a conflict because, you know, employees, we know a lot of employees still want to work remotely as much as they can. um, And yet there are some leaders that want to bring people back into the office, which shows that maybe they didn't actually trust those employees right away, right? Because there's still some tension there. Um, So I do think it's a particularly important topic today. And I'm excited that we're diving into it with you because you definitely know more about it than I do. Um, I did want to touch on the global context that Katina had mentioned earlier, and how your book examines that, you know, trust in all these different cultures, you mentioned 33 countries in these interviews. What did that look like? So did trust come out being something that's similar across all these different contexts or is the trust building process different in different cultures? It's an interesting question. When we were able to uh, interview the managers, we were able to uncover four key search actions that managers use to gather information for trust decisions and four key criteria that managers uh, use to ultimately base their trust decisions on. Uh, in terms of the search actions, uh, we developed a um, kind of a, a four-part. We, de- we developed a. Um, I'm losing my words here. We we had four key search actions, and uh, they were due diligence, testing, goodwill building, and brokering. And two of those search actions were indirect, and two of those search actions were direct. Um, when we talk about direct versus indirect, the search actions that were indirect more so were how you gather information, not necessarily from direct interactions with those that you were trying to figure out more information for in terms of trust. So due diligence meant doing your homework on them, trying to figure out what's the reputation of the company they represent, what's the reputation of the individual that may involve going online, searching their LinkedIn, social media pages. Um, and in terms of brokering, this could this involves going through a third party and and asking them to make an introduction, and that person's actually staking their reputation on the line. In terms of testing, this is something that someone would do in an actual interaction with you, and so they would maybe ask a question that, sh- that they already know the answer to to see what kind of information you're you're going to reveal in that interaction. And then goodwill building is about social interaction. What are you doing? Maybe not necessarily at the negotiation table. Um, but maybe this involves going to a soccer game if you're in Latin America or you're going to a coffee shop and having three cups of tea if you're in India. But in terms of the global context, we learned that managers in different parts of the world were putting different emphasis on these different search actions. So we learned that in East Asia, there was a greater emphasis on brokerage. Uh, When we talk about testing, this also was really important in East Asia as well, but this was even more important perhaps in the West. 
we also talked about the Middle East and South Asia, and goodwill building was irrelevant there as well as uh, it was in Latin America. And so through these search actions, managers kind of arrived on, on a trust decision based on certain criteria that they also gave greater or less emphasis to. So uh, the acronym that we use is CORE, uh, which is C-O-R-R, competence, openness, respect, and rapport. Competence tended to be the most uh, important criterion for trust decisions in East Asia, openness in the West, uh, respect in the Middle East slash South Asia, and then rapport in Latin America. And so to kind of sum it up, there were four key search actions that managers were using to gather information about trust decisions. And then there were four key criteria. However, the emphasis on the search actions as well as the criteria varied across cultures. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, I mean, obviously you gathered so much rich information there. And so to kind of kick it up a level, basically what you're saying is the way that people sort of build trusting relationships is different. Um, and maybe sort of the the rationale for why people are building these trust, trusting relationships varies um, across cultural contexts. So I would imagine that as you're working in cross-cultural teams or trying to, um, you know, lead a team and you're working with people who are from multiple cultural contexts or maybe you're in a cultural context that you're not originally from, it would be really important to understand kind of what are people expecting from me in order of tr- in order to build trust or what do I need to do in order to provide a platform by which people feel like they're building trust with me? Absolutely. Anecdotally, so I was just going to say anecdotally, um, I feel like everything that you're saying was resonating just from my personal experience. Like I'm thinking about relationships with clients in Latin America and the way they built trust with the way I was, you know, kind of I wouldn't say anyone told me how to build trust with these clients, right? But just the types of things they asked, the types of activities they wanted to do, um, more of that focus on rapport, like you were mentioning, just a lot more um, attention to, you know, the social interaction, doing things outside of work, things like that. And so I find that super interesting because like as you were talking through it, I was like, oh, I totally see some of these patterns in my own personal experience. So uh, it makes a lot of sense to me just intuitively. Yeah, and I just want to add one point about this one-size-fits-all, back to that question. The interesting thing, when you look at the research, most of the research and theory on trust comes from a Western perspective, which is somewhat problematic when you want to understand trust in different parts of the world, right? Because when you look at the data from the World Value Survey about where the West, and I say the West, I'm talking about kind of Europe and uh, the United States of America, Canada, et cetera, we're relatively high in trust in comparison to Latin America, the Middle East and South Asia. So what that means is that most people, if you ask the question, can most people be trusted? Relatively speaking, we're more likely to say yes than Latin Americans or people in the Middle East and South Asia. And what that means is that as uh, researchers, if we're approaching uh, building trust theory and, and models around the assumption that most people can be trusted, some of that may not necessarily generalize to other parts of the world. And so one of the reasons why we want to do this book was from to get from managers in their own voices and to really understand from their own perspectives, dropping any Western assumptions about trust uh, to really gain a better understanding of what exactly is involved with this process and and what's driving it. And so 
uh, as you were talking about Latin America, there's a lot of cultural norms uh, that play into wanting to spend more time uh, in that goodwill, build, goodwill building process. And it's primarily uh, in part because it's a low trust culture, right? Which is very different from the West, which is a high trust culture. Um, we want to kind of get straight to the business where because it's a low trust culture, uh, really you need to spend the time to get to know a potential partner before you can really take that risk because the there really aren't the same kind of institutional structures in place that can guarantee if something goes wrong uh, that you'll be covered in, in the sense that a, a business relationship goes wrong. So the, the stakes are much higher in, in some ways. So in a different, in a context where it takes, you know, longer to build trust or people believe that, you know, you really need to feel these relationships out before you decide to trust someone and not just like, oh, most people can be trusted. What are sort of the implications of that? So I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, as you're moving across cultural contexts, um, what are some things that you could look out for as clues that would tell you kind of what kind of trusting culture you're in or, uh, or what, what are the implications of understanding this information for being in, um, you know, in these different cultural contexts and trying to understand, like, how do I be effective? How do I navigate that? So, um, you know, that's coming to mind as one of the examples that you're mentioning is, you know, maybe in some places I have to wait longer to build trust. Um, how do I sort of feel that out? And then what are the implications of doing it well versus not? That's a that's an extremely good question. And the book is based on a framework that we developed from our interviews, uh, which is a two by two course, us academics love our two by twos, the <laughs> two by two framework to help guide our research and help really uh, provide focus to all the insights that we gain. And basically, we can describe it as we can describe cultural regions as high or low trust, and then culturally tight or culturally loose. And so you can have the West who's more loose and culturally um, high trust. And then you can have the Latin America, which is low trust, but also loose. And then in East Asia, it can be high trust uh, and tight. And then in the Middle East and South Asia, it can be high trust and loose. And if you think, when I say culturally loose, culturally tight, I'm talking about the strength of social norms. So whether people um, can deviate from social norms that are in place and whether there's sanctions involved. I uh, give the example uh, that's used by Michelle Gelfin about chewing gum in Singapore where it's illegal. It's not the case in the West at all. Uh, in fact, it's encouraged and there's no rule. Even if you throw it somewhere, it's uh, for the most part, it, there's no strong consequences. Uh, when you pay attention to some of these social norms, it can give you some really good insight into what the trust building process may be. Uh, for example, even when we think about a place like Brazil, it's extremely culturally loose. And you see that in the attire that people wear. Um, but also even on the clocks, right? A lot of the clocks in the same city don't even have the same time, right? So there's a, a lot um, less kind of strict uh, adherence to to guidelines and things like that. And so when when we pay attention to some of these cues about the strength of social norms, that can give us some good insight into what we can expect from this process of, of trust building to a certain degree. And in, in high trust cultures, there's more of a focus on um, the business relationship. In low trust cultures, because you don't have a lot of um, 
institutional assurances and just structures in place where if things go wrong, you feel protected. Uh, people like to spend more time on getting to know each, each other on a more individual level. Yeah, I'd love um, if you could so expand a tiny bit more on what does the focus, how does the focus change if it's a tight or a loose culture? So when we talk about tightness, for example, if we think about East Asia, uh, one of the things that we learned is that because there's such a strong emphasis on face, right? This is a, a face culture where if you uh, embarrass yourself or, or lose face, that can come with strong consequences for your family. You can essentially become a social outcast, right? Um, this is not necessarily the case uh, in the U.S. In fact, I'm, I'm reflecting on a conversation with uh, a Japanese manager who worked in the shipyard. She was telling us about this rock band over in Japan where there was, there was some rule that the uh, this all-girl rock band that you couldn't have a boyfriend. And it was found out that one of the uh, girls had a boyfriend. And what she did was she cut all of her hair off. And uh, she wanted to kind of basically wear her shame, uh, for lack of better words. And in the process, trying to hopefully restore trust uh, with, with the public. And so when you think about that in comparison to the West, there wouldn't be these kinds of rules. There wouldn't be um, this need just to go to an extreme measure such as uh, what was described by this Japanese manager. And these, these type of extreme measures and, and talk about tightness and what you can do in terms of how much you can deviate from a social norm and what the consequences are, it gives you, it gives you a really good insight into thinking about what's probably going to be necessary for you to demonstrate um, in your interactions, right? And so ho hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, I think that helps. So I just want to like restate and make sure that I'm getting it. So if I'm in a high trust culture that is loose, then that means if I deviate from my social norms, my interactions with the person I'm trying to build trust with, not that big of a deal. And we're mostly going to focus on business. If I'm in a high trust but tight culture, we're also going to be focusing on business relationships mostly, but I need to be following a strict set of rules to not break the trust along the way of building it. Would that be accurate? That's correct. Yeah, that's really interesting. The story about cutting the hair uh, is definitely one that I think will stick with people because that will stick with me <laughs> for sure. Just thinking about like, you know, a public display of apology uh, via, you know, doing something physical to demonstrate, you know, sort of a, a constant state of being sorry for breaking the trust rate. Um, and so I think these are all really interesting examples of the ways in which cultural norms vary. And we know that we are working more and more in sort of a boundaryless economy. And we also know that People found out over the last couple of years that relationships and sort of building social bonds between each other is something that we kind of took for granted before that I think people are um, recognizing as being sort of core and fundamental to humanity, whether it's tighter, looser in terms of the um, scripts that people follow. Um, but, you know, this idea that connectedness is an important human quality Um how do we try to build trust in a post-COVID world when we know that connectedness is important for everyone, but people think about trust differently, but we may be working with people who um, 
feel who who have different norms uh, around trust. So how do we build that sense of connectedness when there may be varied thoughts about that, even on the same team? Sure. And before I get to that, I just want to briefly mention that we had just finished our interviews right before the pandemic broke out. So right after we finished our 82nd interview, um, we went back to 21 of those managers during the pandemic and asked them how the pandemic had affected their new business development. And at the time, the effects were least felt in East Asia, where within country business was being carried out as usual. But in the rest of the world, new business development ground kind of came to a halt and managers were pivoting and doing things online. And so they gave us some really good tips concerning how to go about trying to build trust in the post-COVID world. One of the first things that comes to mind is just recognizing the limitations of being online, um, but not using that as an excuse to kind of put the work aside, right? You need to get creative about building relationships. And so when we re-interviewed, we found that cultural differences were still active in this kind of online space. Um, however, a common experience was that it's almost impossible to build the same kind of trusting relationships that were sustaining businesses through the pandemic when you can only meet virtually. And so they explained that virtual meetings tend to be transactional in nature, but the process of deciding to trust new business uh, partners requires kind of a deeper relationship. So one of the, the first tips is recognize the limitations of online interactions. Um, although dedicating time in virtual settings to get to know others is less than ideal, it's still important for building trust, especially in relationship-based cultures like the regions of Latin America and the Middle East and South Asia, where if there's a personal relationship, the business relationship is expected to follow. And uh, just to kind of draw on some quotes that I think might stick with people, we had one German manager who told us, it's the things which you don't learn because everything is on the agenda. If you do an online meeting, you don't devote sufficient time to offline discussion, which gives you clues. And then we had a manager from Singapore kind of echo this, right? So uh, she mentioned that we were all listening and watching the video and all and all of this, and there's still a preference for face-to-face. -face, but what you really miss is the other side of the conversations and the stuff that happens after the meeting, like catching up in the taxi. It's those in-person moments where you really build trust with the partner. So... Uh, in addition to recognizing the limitations of online interactions, but, you know, being creative, using networks is really important as well. Um, so we encourage people to use networks of trusted relationships for introductions and for evaluating potential partners. So when asking for an introduction, make it clear to whoever's brokering what common interests you might have with a potential partner and what questions you have about that person. Um, so we had one U.S. manager from Arizona tell us, look, there's no formula for how to do this. You just kind of have to seek out the people in your network who can be the most helpful to you and who are willing to be helpful. And he's, he mentions, like, I've identified three or four people. I'll approach them and say, I need to meet with a certain person. Can you help make that introduction for me? So you want to use your networks. You want to recognize the limitations of online interactions. And then third, we'll mention that you want to manage your risk by, con by considering smaller risks that you might take um, prior to the pandemic where you could meet in person, right? Uh, so we had one manager from Saudi Arabia tell us about a transaction that they had recently closed, and it was the first time they dealt business dealt with this person. Um, and they really liked the opportunity, like the markets. They really thought it was an interesting investment opportunity, but they couldn't meet with the person and the team face-to-face, -face, and they really didn't want to put their own eyes on the company, and so they decided to stage the investment. 
So they said that the manager from Saudi Arabia mentioned that he would like to invest a certain amount now and then would like to have the option to invest additional amounts in the future once the face-to-face meeting happens. So just because it couldn't meet in person didn't mean that the risk-taking completely comes to a halt, but you're taking some control risk. And then finally, I'll just mention uh, to think about how you can help your trusted partners with their business processes or, or other things where you can share expertise. Um, so it's not necessarily all about the, the bottom line in this case. It's about how you can actually um, maybe help someone uh, build out things that they didn't even know was possible. So, for example, we had a manager from Nicaragua talk about building some online tools to help um, a, a, a potential partner sell their products. And in the process of doing that, it helped expand their business. Um, and they realized that, look, this isn't just a business um, opportunity for them. This is more like trying to help each other survive in a new environment. And so I know that was kind of a mouthful, but if we were to summarize kind of in four tips, recognize the limitations of online interactions, use your networks, um, take controlled risks, and if you can, share expertise with um, business partners. I think that's super helpful. I think it's, you know, it's great that you were able to have access to this type of data so early in COVID. I mean, I'm sure as we continue in our journey moving past all of this and uh, hopefully fully past it at some point. <laughs> um, we'll continue to learn how people have evolved and dealt with the new ways of interacting with all this online interaction, et cetera. Um, but I think these four tips are really useful just kind of as a starting point for people um, that are, you know, struggling with making trusted relationships um, in this place that we're in today. So I think that's super helpful. I'm glad you were able to do that. So we're getting close to the end of our time together, which makes me really sad because I've learned a lot. And I think that, I mean, everything you've shared has been super useful and, and practical and impactful. Wanted to see if there's anything else you wanted to tell us about your work, about yourself um, that you think would be helpful for our listeners? Sure. I'll just add that just because you have uh, cultural knowledge, it doesn't help you um, jump the line, so to speak in terms of expediting the process of trust building. It takes time. Uh, it takes a lot of intentionality. Uh, and so one of the key things is recognizing what assumptions you might be bringing to a relationship. As I mentioned before, in the West, we tend to trust people um, and kind of assume that they're worthy of being trusted until otherwise proven. But that's not necessarily how everyone uh, in different parts of the world think about that. And so. Uh, it's important to, one, recognize your the assumptions you bring to a relationship, but also realizing that it's still going to take work even once you develop the cultural knowledge of knowing, like, okay, I'm in a culturally tight and high-trust environment. It doesn't mean that you automatically uh, kind of can uh, skip important steps in the process of building that trust. And so I'll just... Uh, mention those two things and just know that it was a blast conducting the research for the book, writing it. And I really hope that people benefit from the wisdom from our 82 managers who gave us uh, just wonderful insights about how to search for trust in the global economy. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're so grateful that you are willing to uh, share your expertise with us. You've obviously done an immense amount of work to uncover these insights and to bring them here to us today. So thank you so much for that. And 
Um, to wrap things up here, we would love to ask you, uh, we always do this. We ask a final fun question or a question that we think is fun at least. Um, and so for your final fun question, because you focused on trust in a global environment, we would love to know anywhere in the globe, what one place is your favorite and why? Mm, wow. That is such a tough question because there's so many places that I've been to that I've enjoyed. For example, like Japan, it's so unique in its cultural norms. Uh, it's such low crime. And I think about uh, the kind of food that I like, right? I love ramen. So it, mm. the architecture uh, and of course the, the natural uh, environment, the cherry blossoms, I just have such great memories thinking about Japan. But even as I say that, uh, there's just several places I'm going to this year that could easily be my favorite. For example, in a few weeks, my wife and I are going to be going to France uh, and we'll be in France and, uh, for a few days and we'll go up to Paris for a few days and then we'll be in Marseille. And then in September, I'll be in Singapore and I'll remember to leave my gum here in the U.S. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I've heard such great things about how clean Singapore is because it's a culturally tight environment. It, I've heard that you can almost kind of eat off the floors. And so I'm looking forward to some of the trips that I'll be taking even this year. So you'll, you'll have to follow back up with me on this question. <laughs> I, yeah, totally. It is super clean, by the way, in Singapore. It's like amazing being used to like the subways in DC and Philly and New York and then going and riding public transportation there. And you're like, what? <laughs> the heck like it's just so clean you're like I'm confused why isn't it disgusting and smell horrible in here um so yeah it's you you'll definitely appreciate that well I'm excited already and I just want to say thank you so much for having me on it's such a blast and I really appreciate you guys we appreciate you thank you Thank you so much to Tyree Mitchell for joining us today. We had such a great time talking about trust in a global context. It's really interesting work. If you want to find Tyree, you can actually find him on his Twitter. Um, he's at Tyree D. Mitchell 5. Um, we'll have a link in our show notes as well as a link to his amazing book if you're interested and other articles that were written about his work. Um, and as always, if you want to reach out, have any questions, thoughts, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at workerbeing.com. You can email us at contact at workerbeing.com and you can find us on social. Thanks for listening. Thriving at Work is hosted by us, Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson. Allie Johnson.